when the storm sirens go off. You ready to get yourself and your family down your storm shelter? Nah, man, not me. I opened up mine the other day. Grass clippings, dead spiders, a couple live spiders, a dead scorpion, live crickets were down there. Why would I have my wife and my family go down to that storm shelter? Can't even keep it clean. So what I decided to do, I called up StormCheck.team. They team up with local veterans to keep your storm shelter safe and clean. They offer their signature five-point service, which includes they get down there, they vacuum, they clean. Those dead spiders, grass clippings, live spiders, gone. It's sanitized. It's deodorized. They give you fresh water supply. Install a motion sensor LED light. How brilliant is that? And they ensure that your shelter location is registered with your local emergency management office in your respective city, state, and town. Freaking brilliant. For the premium subscriber, you get to see them twice a year and you get a first aid kit. Give them a visit on their website, www.stormcheck.team. Get to know them. They're awesome. They're undefeated, just like your storm shelter will be. That's www.stormcheck.team. Stop being afraid of your storm shelter. Give them a call. Thank you so much for tuning in to Defining Moments Podcast. Get on social media. Find us on Instagram at Defining Moments Podcast. On Twitter at Def Moments Pod. That's at D-E-F Moments Pod. We're on all sorts of podcasting platforms from Google to iTunes to iHeartRadio to Spotify. Search Defining Moments Podcast. Like it. Subscribe to it. We're also on YouTube so you can see the video edition. Search Defining Moments Podcast. Like it. Subscribe to it if you believe in it. And no matter what, show some appreciation today, every day, because someone is always rooting you on. Three, two, one. (laughs) Welcome back to the undefeated, unscripted, unfiltered, defining moments podcast with my man, Chris Fields. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for uh, coming on. You bet. Twitter, about a year and a half ago was how we connected and it's through a, a stinking hat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh I think it was a friend of mine, Mazza, aunt yeah. Anthony, who he posted one of his hats or something that he yeah. got from you. Yeah. And so I, you know, did the old <laughs> follow the thread and click here, click there and and saw your uh Twitter account and yeah. been following it ever since. Yeah, we appreciate your support and we appreciate things you've done for the community, things you're still currently doing. 31 years, Oklahoma City Fire Department, retired as major in 2017-ish, mm-hmm. somewhere around there. Yeah, March 1st, 2017. March 1st. Yep. Man, how's it feel to be retired? Uh, it's good. Yeah? It's a, yeah. It's, a, <laughs> it's different. You got to, yeah. uh, you know, it takes a, takes a while to get used to not being part of something that right. you were, you know, part of for 31 years. Yeah. There's always that fraternity that brotherhood that sisterhood of the job but sure when you're not doing it for a living anymore it's a it's a little different yeah so what do you do on your downtime now i um work with a couple other guys and uh, we try to travel around the country and yeah. and tell our stories and kind of more of like preventive maintenance is what we try to do okay and try to tell all these first responders don't wait until the wheels fall off before they you know reach out and get any help and right we uh we offer help in setting up uh, peer support groups mm-hmm. uh around the country yeah i feel like in 2021 it's even just it's always important but it just feels like it's so much more important now because social media is growing it's gone so fast so 
I mean, the, the technical side of it is just exploding. And so how do you, how do you deal with negativity? Who, uh, <laughs> I tell you what, sometimes I don't deal with it very good, but, uh, are you talking about just like reading negative stuff and yeah, yeah. Neg- I, let's just do that, man. It's hard sometimes cause I'm, I'm pretty opinionated. Yeah. So it's tough for me to, a lot of times I do the old, uh, where they say type it up and then delete it. Oh yeah. yeah. Just as good. Yeah. Well, I've, I've typed up a million responses and replies <laughs> to negative people. And I uh, thought, eh, I better not, because then yeah. I'll have to answer the 150 replies I'll get or whatever. So yeah. I just, uh, it's tough, man. I'm, I'm not a very negative person. Right. So right. Now I have my days where sure. I'm cranky and negative, but uh, my personality is is not negative. So, yeah. and and I can't, I don't like being around people that always look for the, uh, for the bad and everything, you sure. know. Sure. Um, there's always two sides to everything, so I always choose to find the find the good side of it. Right and then, on. And then if it, things get too bad, I'll just load up my truck and drive two hours east and go to the lake. So, <laughs> or Grand Lake, uh, ten killer. Okay, yeah. Do you love fishing or boating or what? I did, nah, I, I, if my brother-in-law comes along, I'll I'll fish because he yeah. loves it. But uh, I mean, I don't wake up waiting to fish. I I like uh, just hanging out on the boat, right on, getting out on the water. That's great. Before we take a deeper dive into you, your life, mm-hmm. we got a few gifts here for you. Excellent. The one of them is for your wife. Well, well yeah, <laughs> we might get that one to her. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Is the yeah. That's what we need, man. I wear. Uh, I get I get quite a few shirts and hats, and there stuff, you go. So I, I wear them all. I find a place and a time to wear them. Oh yeah, undefeated, perfect. Yeah, perfect, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate you. So how's the family? Uh, good. Got yeah. uh, me and the wife been married. Uh, June was thirty four years. Right. I uh, got two sons. One's twenty eight. Married. Lives in Broken Arrow. My daughter in law Drew. Okay. And my youngest one is twenty two, uh-huh. and he's in his last semester down at OU. Yeah, I saw a post, and he had a landmark. Fine Homes hat on. Yeah. Do you guys know someone in Landmark? Uh, Mr. Landmark. Uh, Do you? Dan Reeves. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And, and uh, his his oldest son, Matt, mm-hmm. and my youngest son are the same age. Okay. And they lived together the last three years. Okay. And then uh, Matt uh, got proposed to his girlfriend, got engaged, and they wanted to get their own house, and it was Matt's house. So okay. he, he told his three boys to beat it. You know, so, so they, uh, he's back down there. He's got an apartment with another good friend and all okay. that. So, yeah. 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 So, That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And the reason why I ask is because I noticed a hat and my wife are, and I are getting a house built in Norman and it's a landmark. It's oh, okay. Built, yeah. Landmark Fine mm-hmm. Homes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Landmark yeah. Fine Homes. Yep. They do good. They do good stuff. Yeah. So I saw the hats. I like, man, I need to score one of those hats. <laughs> uh, <laughs> try to think if I got one in my truck. I don't. I, I've got several at the house. Do you? Yeah. I'll yeah. get you one. That's a good looking Definitely. hat. It's a good looking hat. So this is defining moments. This is your moment. So kind of take us through your life and what I remember talking to Anthony about. He told me, you got to get him on. You got to get him on. (laughs) And he he took me all the way back to 1995. Mm -hmm. It was uh, April 19th, 1995. Mm -hmm. And if you don't mind walking us through the call, your emotions what was going on that day um april 19th 1995 you know i can uh, people can always i always remember it's a wednesday and the only reason i remember it's a wednesday is because 
the the fire station I was at. Every fire station has uh, duties you do different days of the week if you're on duty that day. And Wednesdays at that station was yard day. So I just remember guys out uh, mowing and weed eating. And uh, fortunately, I was one of the officers, so I wasn't having to mow or weed eat. Uh, but uh, they were mowing and weed eating, and we were getting ready to start planning breakfast. Uh, the fire station usually you eat two meals, breakfast and dinner, 10 and 5. That's just and then snack the other rest of the 24 hours. But uh, we were talking about getting breakfast ready that morning. And uh, the station I was at was Station 5, Northwest 22nd Broadway, mm -hmm. right by Byron's Liquor. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so it's just like 15 blocks north yep. of the of the Murrah building. And we, we felt it. We heard it. I mean, the, the station shook and the windows rattled. And we had thought originally uh, maybe a train had derailed or something because there used to be an active board and ice cream plant right mm -hmm. there. I don't even know what it is now. But uh, so we we went out the east doors to look and didn't see anything. Looked back to the south towards downtown and saw the large uh, plume of smoke. And uh, we all, all three rigs, we self-dispatched ourselves, meaning we didn't wait for the tone to come in. We just left and there was, um, I had an engine we had an engine company at our house, a rescue ladder, and the hazardous materials unit. And I was the officer on the hazardous materials unit that day. And uh, just one of them deals where we're the whole way down there, you know, we're just kind of, um, you can see the smoke. And the, by then they've dispatched companies, you know, on the way and a radio chatter. Nobody really knows. You know, I'll jump ahead and say, you know, the last thing we were thinking was a, was a bomb. Hmm. We were doing natural gas explosion. We were doing... Uh, they were doing some work, I think, on the water resource bill, and we were thinking about a welder's, you know, settling torch, you know, something. We were had just going over all these things, and and noticed about um, after we hairpin turned off of Twenty Second back onto Broadway. Once we got to about Thirteenth or Fourteenth, we started seeing uh, some of those storefronts right there with the windows uh, blown out, uh, glass blown out people coming out nobody you know injured or anything but just had that day's look like kind of like we did probably you know what what the heck just happened uh got down to northwest fifth street by this time you know radio chatter was picking up and there was some rigs already on the scene and they were talking about it was the there was a little confusion at first because there's the federal building which is the federal courthouse mm -hmm. and then there's the alfred p murrah building which is which houses federal offices so there was kind of uh, confusion. Was it the federal building or was it the federal offices or whatever? So we got down there and uh, turned on to Fifth Street. And the first thing we did was uh, my crew and another uh, engine, co another company. There was a uh, and we were hearing uh, daycare chatter. Um, and I'll be honest and say we didn't know there was a. I say we, my company, my station, it wasn't our first in, so we weren't real familiar with it. Yeah. And so I didn't know there was a daycare in the Murrah building itself. When they talked about the daycare, the YMCA was caddy corner from the uh, Murrah building, the YMCA, and it had a daycare in it. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where we started. We set up a triage there because there were some kids there and workers there injured just from flying glass and, you know, nothing life-threatening. And so... We set up a triage and probably worked there for about five minutes, 10 minutes before we got the call from the uh, the fire chief, instant commander, to come down to the building. I say come down to the building, just right across the street, but he had an assignment for us. So first thing we did was we helped uh, Oklahoma City police officers get a lady out of the basement. She was just kind of hung up in uh, no, nothing structural like debris, but she was kind of hung up in like a uh, wire from the suspended ceiling and stuff. 
and the sprinkler line was flowing, so there was getting there was some water in there. So we helped get her out, and uh, you know, and I'll, and I'll and I'll back up real quick, and I say when we first saw the, we really didn't get a good view of the building until we walked. You know, even when we were at the YMCA, we really didn't pay attention. We were kind of focused there, but once we got to the uh, to the building and saw the, you know. Uh, third of the building blown away nine stories pancaked on top of each other and the crater out front i think everybody on the scene to a man and woman would say if you just told me right then and said there's only gonna and i, I say only it doesn't discount any anybody's death but when i say if they would have said there's only going to be 168 fatalities i would have told you there are no way i mean because we're looking at a building that's gone and pancaked and you're talking about nine o'clock in the morning when everybody's at work so like i said if you looked at it and said so in a weird kind of way i mean it's it's a blessing that it was 168 was a, yeah. a number a low number for what we had envisioned looking at it so um we helped get um that lady out of the basement and then um the um they told us to go to the south side go down in what an area they were calling the pit. It was kind of on the mezzanine, but then you had to, there was no way to get to it. So we had ground ladders. You had to go down ladders to get to it. Yeah. And it was just floors pancaked down on top of each other. And uh, so as we were going, that's when a, a gentleman out of nowhere, I don't know if he came around the corner out of a door or whatever, but this gentleman came out and said he had a critical infant. And, you know, my, my mom always says, well, there is a reason it was you. Because I said, I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I just said, you know, here, I'll, I'll take her. Yeah. And I didn't even know he was a police officer at the time. I didn't realize until a couple of days later that he was a police officer. But uh, but they said they had a critical infant. So I, I took uh, Bailey. And um, I, first thing I did was search her for any signs of life, you know. Uh, I had to clear some uh, concrete dust out of her throat. She had a slight open skull fracture. And... Um, but I couldn't find any signs of life. So about that time I noticed, uh, and people, I always get, I think it was IMSA in 1995. I don't think it was still Amcare. I think it was already IMSA. Anyway, there was an ambulance across the street. So I walked over there with her and uh, same thing. I just said, I have a critical infant. Um, And uh, the the ambulance was full. There was somebody on the floor, on the cot, and up on the bench seat. There were several people laying around the ground on stretchers our backboards and uh i just said i have a critical infant and the paramedic looked at me and he said well hold on a second we're not going to put that baby on the ground because there was nowhere to put her and he went um to get a blanket out of the ambulance put on the ground and um so he you know once once he did that i handed bailey to to him and went back and caught up with my crew for the rest of the day um we you know we had one uh, live rescue. I think we were there at about 11 or 1130 that night. We had one other live rescue uh, that, that that right after that. When I caught up with my crew, I could hear them hollering. And what they were doing was they were, I guess they'd heard somebody hollering for help. And she said, I can feel y'all on top of me. So they were, they could, she could feel the pressure where they were walking. So they were kind of sounding out to try to find out where she was feeling the pressure so they could see how she was laying, mm-hmm. which direction her head was. So we'd know to be careful when we were moving debris around her head area. And um, so that's what they did. They sounded out. She said, I can feel you on my back. Now I can feel you on my legs. So we knew how she was laying. Yeah. And they started to remove the debris. 
And um, I was talking to her and getting her, just like getting her name. And, her, you know, she, I always remember she was Sheila Driver. She was 28 years old and she was pregnant. And wow. uh, I mean, her name will always stick with me. And uh, so we got her, we got her out, uh, got her packaged up and put her on a backboard and they had to set up a, a pulley system up top. We strapped her on there and they uh, got her out and got her to the hospital. Um, it wasn't until the next day we learned that her and her unborn child passed away on the way to the hospital. Mm. But that was the last, uh, that was probably an hour into the incident. So maybe 10, 30, 11, uh, before the second, before the bomb scare where we had to evacuate. Yeah. But, um, that was the last, you know, live person that we had any contact with the rest of the day. Wow. For, you know, and I know there were some other rescues going on around the building, but as far as where my crew and where we were, the rest of the day was pretty much recovery mm -hmm. for us. And we were there till, like I say, 11 or 1130 at night before we got sent back to the fire station. So it was a a full a full day. And that was the first chance we ever, you know, we got to call to, you know, contact our own families, and let them know we were OK and everything yeah. was good and and all that. And that's. That's the time. That's when I found out there was a, a photo taken. Yeah. Was when we got back to the station. Yeah. When you think back through those moments, um, what, what do you feel like you've learned from those moments, from that call to getting in there and to now? Um, you know, I've probably, and you know, and a lot of the stuff you learn, it, it, it sounds cliche, but mm. you, you don't think it's cliche until you learn it and then yeah. you're, you know, but like I say, man, it's just, it's so fragile, you know, life's so fragile. Those, uh, those people are getting up and going to work, you know, just like every other day. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and some of the stories you hear of, uh, people that weren't supposed to be down there that were and vice versa right. that, you know, weren't supposed to be down there and were and were and weren't. And so it was just kind of, a and another thing I've noticed, I learned a lot more like in the days after the uh the resiliency mm -hmm. of of mankind the humans yeah. uh the uh there's a guy i don't have it on there's a guy that uh uh has a deal called 912 united and his his message and his mission is to make the world be like it was on 912 after 911 mm. how everybody came sure. together yeah. you know and same thing for us you know as far but i don't know if we can say 420 yeah. Since that's, you know, <laughs> yeah. so I don't want to be 420 United because everybody knows what 420 is. So, but, uh, you know, but even that day and the weeks and the months following, yeah. man, it was just, it was amazing to see, you know, the media would have to tell people to stop bringing supplies down there because they didn't have anywhere else to put them. Mm -hmm. I think the police re reported like their lowest crime rate in the last 10 years and that 48 hours after the bombing. Wow. I mean, it was just, I mean, it was just, uh, it was just an amazing thing. And, um, and I say a lot of it I didn't really learn that day or, you know, but some of the stories that have come out afterwards mm -hmm. that, that I've not everybody knows, but I've been privy and got to know um, were just, you know, amazing. Like the, the guy that worked there that was uh, um, blind and he ended up leading like six or seven people down the staircase because he just said, hang on to me because he, he walked it every day blind. Yeah. So he knew exactly where wow. he was in the structure, where he was in his part of the building that wasn't damaged. He couldn't see because of the concrete dust and some of the smoke from the car fires. He knew exactly where he was going uh, because he walks it every day blind. So mm -hmm. he was able to get six women out. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Dana Bradley, who had her, you know, had to have her leg. She's the one who had to have her leg amputated to get mm -hmm. her out. 
you know, and she's preparing now to walk the, I think walk the half marathon next year or something. Oh, you know, wow. for the, I mean, you know, with her prosthetic leg. Yeah. And it's just, it's just, um, Amy, Amy Downs, she'd be a great one to have on here. Uh, I don't know if you know who she is. She was, uh, I'll tell part of her story yeah, yeah. and you can have her on okay. her and she can tell the rest. Uh, <clears throat> she was a, um, she worked at the Federal Employees Credit Union. And uh, I think she was just like a part-time teller or greeter or whatever. Uh, she was in a, this is her story. She was in a horrible relationship, uh, 300-something pounds, really big. They, uh, she was trapped. One of our guys was talking to her, and they evacuated the building, made him leave. So she said when she was in those moments, not knowing if we were going to come back for her, uh, she said she just talked to God and said, you know what? Give me a chance. I'll live my life like you want me to. I won't, you know, I'll take care of myself. I'll do, you know, I'll do something about this relationship. I'll, so they come back, they get her out. She's, uh, she's remarried now to a great guy. She, uh, lost a ton of weight and she, she's uh, actually competed in triathlons. Wow. She rides her bike 50 miles a day about. And she is now the president of that same credit union that was on top of her. Unbelievable. That's what I'm saying. Oh, just, man. And that's crazy, man. And there's just wow. so many stories. And I really didn't start recognizing those and, and appreciate them until uh, another friend of mine said he always looks to other people's stories for, for inspiration. Sure. You know, and so that's kind of what I do. I look at those, you know, I could, every day I get up and I'm like, eh, kind of bad day. Kind of, I mean, I just, I think of what they've been through. Yeah. Man, what I've been through doesn't even compare. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what I've just learned that, you know, uh, it, you think you got it bad. Somebody's always got a, a little worse. So yeah. I always use their stories of inspiration, man, to uh, to get me through the day if I'm having a bad day. Yeah. Yeah. So when you have to amputate someone's leg on the scene, do you know? What happened? I mean, well, that, did you knock and, him out or what? No, that was uh, <laughs> that's another mate, and you ought to have that doctor on that did <laughs> uh, an actual the doctor from I don't know if he's from St. Anthony's where he's from, but they uh, they actually got doctors down there, and mm. I, you know I, I give it up to those doctors. I mean, there's some of us were weren't real keen on tunneling down in there, you know, and where you can't hardly move and all that. But these doctors did it, and uh, uh, no, they gave her like a local. That's all they could give her. Uh, because of, you know, not, I, I'm not medically inclined enough to know all the details. Sure. But like I said, she, uh, so all they were able to do give her a, a local. And, uh, the, the story goes, and he's, he's written about it somewhere that, uh, when he cut through everything, got down, he had to pull a, he had an old pocket knife in his pocket that he had to pull out to cut the last tendon <laughs> to, to get her, to get her leg, uh, free. So that was the only way she was coming out. And, uh, uh and like I said, and she's, uh, you know, and that's the thing. There's people still, and I know people are still suffering from their from their losses that day. You know, of family members that that died, but the people that were injured, both mentally and physically, mm-hmm. man, are still dealing with it. Twenty six twenty six years later, yeah. are still having effects. You know, uh, you know, Dana's had several surgeries and stuff on her leg, and now I think she's got it to where her she can put her prosthetic on, and she's yeah. going to be able to, you know, like I say, walk in the half marathon next year at the bombing memorial run yeah. and so like i say i just um that's one thing i take away from it. i just look for all these uh and some of the people that have gone on and done things that lost family members have set up foundations that do nothing but help people and you know got certain laws passed i mean it's just yeah it's just pretty inspirational to see all the stuff that has come out of that tragedy yeah and how oklahoma city 
came together in the state and how we and we we grew as a city mm-hmm. and a state since then. Yeah, for sure, for yeah. sure. How have you been able to handle it yourself mentally throughout not just that, but going forward? Um, well, I thought I was doing good. Now I've always, you know, it's just, um, it, you know, nineteen and I'll, and I'll let me talk about you know some of the because I end up being diagnosed, you know, PTSD, anxiety, mm-hmm. depression. Um, nineteen ninety five PTSD was. The only time you really, it wasn't in a first responder world. Uh, unfortunately, back then, it was only a news story about a homeless Vietnam vet. Right. That's when you'd hear about PTSD. That's yeah. the only time. It really wasn't a first responder thing, especially in the fire service. That's just the way we were brought up. You know, I was hired in 1985. So I grew up in the 60s and 70s uh, playing little league sports and high school sports. You know, sure. that was the, you know, suck it up, dude. It didn't matter. Right. Uh, if it was your work, expecting you know, sports, you get hurt, you better suck it up and get back out there. Or Jimmy Joe here is going to take your spot, you know, yeah. or whatever. So that's just what we were taught. And even in the fire service, when you when you when you get on, and it's not that that generation that raised me on the fire department. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not their fault. That's how they were raised. It's just a generational thing. And uh, I mean, we lost three firefighters in '89, you know, and we, you know, we laugh and we hug and we cry about it and we tell stories, but we we. We kind of deal with it. We don't really process it. So when you do that for a, excuse me, for a uh, career, you know, just learning to just kind of push it to the back and push it to the back. And you know, like everybody says, there's so many different scenarios you can use. You know, your file cabinet got too full or you kept throwing stuff over here in this closet until you opened it and it all came down on top of you. And, yeah. and that's kind of what happened to me after that uh, 10 years. The, everybody thinks I... Uh, and and the bombing and the photo and the things I dealt with after that were, were very uh, traumatic for me. Uh, but it was more of the uh, that was kind of the breaking point. It was something that and I'll have to go forward and then come back to it. Yeah. To kind of how it kind of. Um, but the, in the days after the, the photo, once I found out there was one, uh, you know, I, I was a lot of irrational guilt. You know, I was feeling guilty about because uh, Aaron, which is Bailey's mom, Aaron wasn't allowed to uh you know grieve privately um and i felt responsible i was the last one to you know hold her child you know she didn't get to i did um and then there was that being singled out in the fire service which you know it's it's such a team thing but um as far as that goes as far as the fire service man i had nothing but the greatest support from the guys and girls on the fire department uh that was what really kind of kept me going was the support I got from them and the fire chief administration and chief John Hanson. He rest in peace, yeah. you know, he's a great yeah. guy. Um, but so dealing with all that and then uh, just, uh, and it became kind of weird because you, you were getting these onslaughts for interviews. And, and then I thought, well, I'm only going to do them if Aaron was going to do them, you know, and, but then you get, and, it, and it's so unintentional on the fire chief's part, but he would like call and say, hey, so-and-so wants to do an interview, ask you a few questions. If you want to do it, it's fine. You have our permission. If not, uh, just tell me no, and I'll call him. I'll be the bad guy. So in my mind, I'm going, I don't want to be the bad, you know. That's 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 just the way your mind, man. It's right. so powerful. It was just, yeah. and uh, so I was like, no, I'll do it, you know. So it was just, just I was just grinding, wearing myself out, and, you know, noticing I was starting to have a few, uh, I mean, it started from day one, the morning after the 
the bombing. By the time I got home, I already had reporters in my front yard. Wow. I don't know how they do it, but they do it. <laughs> I mean, uh, they already knew where I lived, everything. Yeah. And uh, so it started that, that next morning. And um, so we're... I'm 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 having some struggles. I'm having little, you know, many bouts of depression and, you know, and I'm just kind of like, well, I just want to be alone, be isolated. Of course, I'm thinking, you know, I'm in my 40s, you know, 35, 40. It's my midlife deal. I just, I'll, it'll all be okay. Uh, uh, my wife noticed it a little bit, but when I go to the fire station, you know, I couldn't show that side. I had to be you know, happy-go-lucky. I like being the center of attention, being the funny guy, you know, so I had to keep up that, uh, yeah. that personality. And, um, during that time, you know, we had several other uh, events. You know, I lost uh, we lost a, a firefighter in his day off on a, in a car wreck. He was him and his twelve year old son were killed, and uh, I had to. I was actually doing some little PIO work for the fire department, so I had to do PIO for that. I did a couple of interviews, you know, mm. talking about my good friend Mike Titerman when he died, and then another guy we worked with real close named Chris Deal. He collapsed at a fire scene and died, and so so you know, those are all like what I call major impactful things. So if you take that along with all the other stuff you do in a career on the fire service, you take on everybody else's, I mean, they don't call us unless they're having a bad day. I mean, yeah. and you don't intentionally, but you just take on everybody else's trauma. You take on, you know, and I tell people, you know, some of the most, um, when I say traumatic, I don't necessarily mean bloody or gory or made the headlines, but, you know, you make a call on a, early in the morning, a 92-year-old man that passed away in his sleep. Um, and you can look at all his, you know, war medals, and he was a great guy, or he may have been a famous uh, coach locally that everybody yeah. knew. And, well, then his wife of 65 years is crying on your shoulder saying, I woke up with this man every day for the last 60 years. What do I do? And you're going, I mean, to me, that's just as trauma-filled and traumatic, yeah. you know. And what's traumatic for me is not traumatic for somebody else. You know, it's just all different. So... All that stuff in a career starts taking its toll on you. And then people forget we have home lives too, you know. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to separate the two and manage both. And and like I say, that's not a woe is me. We know what we're getting into and we sign up for the job. Yeah. But I just think there needs to be more attention spent early in your career on learning how to manage all that. Sure. Which it's getting better. They are doing that. Mm -hmm. So to where the when when the bombing played its role, you know, I thought I was doing better. I had kind of gotten over the many bouts of depression and isolation and so it's like seven years six years after the bombing we're putting a pool in our backyard and i'm helping the guys bust out the patio and it starts to rain now, a lot of people don't know it rained the night of the oklahoma city bombing well it was raining when i was busting out this concrete i caught a smell of wet concrete dust mm. and it took me back to april 19th 1995 and uh I didn't like drop to my knees or freak out, but in my mind, I was just going, oh, that smell is just like being inside the building that day. And I can pinpoint that day as the day that when my my bouts of depression and my isolation and all my even quicker temper than I naturally had, <laughs> you know, was uh, was r really uh, ramping up. And um, it was, uh, it got to, I noticed it was more frequent you know, and then, uh, I mean, just me and the wife fighting over, you know, stupid stuff. I mean, and, uh, I mean, it got, it got worse affecting the home life, you know, but again, again, I was fine when I went to the fire station. Yeah. So, you know, it just led to a lot of, uh, uh 
bad events between me and my wife. It led to, you know, it, I say it led. I chose. There was an extramarital affair. There was all sorts of stuff going on. I was I was not being the father I was supposed to be, the husband or the friend to, you know, that I was supposed to be. And my wife pretty much gave me the ultimatum, you know, get help or get out. Mm-hmm. Well, don't tell me what to do. You know, I was kind of in that state of mind, like, I'm fine. This is how I am. So I got out and we were separated uh, six, 16 months. And uh, I did such a good job of hiding it that most people at the fire station in the fire service didn't know we were even separated. I mean, because wow. I'd go to the station, I was the same Chris Fields. Um, and, I, you know, and when I look back and learn, I always try to tell the younger guys, you know, I was more worried about my legacy with the fire department than I was with my own family and friends. And um, so this went on for about, uh, like I say, 16 months of, you know, in and out, me and my wife have a few good days. And then, you know, and then it's just a all out screaming match. And uh, and but she never she 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 stuck it out. She never completely wrote me off because she just she'd always say, I just knew that wasn't we talk about it now. She'll say, I just knew that wasn't you. You know, so uh, after 16 months of separation and me being a total ass to everybody that I knew, um, and, and it was funny, everybody that was reaching out to help me, those were the people I was pushing away and telling, you know, leave me alone. But the the ones that were telling me I was doing okay, do what you want to do, you know, they were pulling me into their little world because I was pulling them into my world and we were, we all wanted to be together and wallow in our misery together, you know? So we were all supporting each other's horrible life decision, you know? And, um, it, it came a night, you know, and I was, uh, I was using, you know, uh, Xanax to get through some days and get some sleep and help with the anxiety and all that. And then, uh, one night I tried to, tried to mix enough crown Royal and Xanax together that if I, if I, I was either going to, be really good to go the next day or there wasn't going to be a next day. And I had just, you know, and, uh, thought if, if that happens, if I don't wake up, everybody can reset and, uh, you know, and, and start over. And, uh, then again, I was so worried about what people thought about me that I would thought, well, people look at it, look like an accident, you know, mm. cause I was still worried about what people, that's how big ass I'd become. You know, I was, that's how I was worried about. And, um, well, I, Woke up the next morning, and so I thought, okay, there's got to be, uh, there's got to be more to my life than this. God's got to have a purpose for me to go through all this. To be forty-something-year-old man living in a seven hundred square foot apartment by himself, you know, uh, not being, and I knew I had a bigger purpose, but you know, and I've been blessed since then to be able to go out and speak and do things. But in my mind then, I wasn't thinking that as any kind of purpose. I thought my purpose was to be a good father, a good husband, and a good friend. That's all I was, that's what I said. That's that's my purpose. That's what I need to be. And um, I called my wife until I was ready to come home. And she said, come on. And um, that was, you know, I, I knew right then, that I'm pretty sure everything was gonna be good. Uh, Cause I figured, you know what, if, if, if God was able to give her enough grace to forgive me, I thought, okay, we're going to be, we're going to be pretty good. And, uh, you know, I still struggle with forgiving myself, even I'm, you know, where that was in 2008 and nine. So we're still, you know, we're 12, 13 years down the road. And I still have days where, you know, I, I struggle with it and think about the things I did and all that. And, um, 
you know, and I always thought about the name of your 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 podcast, Defining Moments. And you, I can't remember where I read it. You have a little, maybe the little saying underneath your, like your Twitter headline mm-hmm. or something about either the moment defines you or you define yeah. the moment. Yeah. You know, and uh, that was what I always think about. You know, that 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 photo and the bombing was probably a defining moment in my life, but mm-hmm. I can't let it, you know, define me. And, and for a long time, I did, mm-hmm. and I struggled with. It. I didn't want to see it. I didn't want. But now, you know, I. I'm, I'm able to use it with Aaron, with Bailey's mom's blessing to go out and speak to other first responders, you know, yeah. about the warning signs and about not waiting until the wheels fall off and, and all that. So that's where I'm at right now, you know, yeah. 26 years uh, after the bombing. And, uh, wow. and and I still have days. Uh, I still have some bad days where I'll get up and just like, I'm not with it today. But instead of turning to any bad behaviors or medication or anything like that, I just let it happen, you know. If I got to go sit in my office at the house and shut the door and cry for an hour or two just to get it out, that's what I do. Or, you know, if I just need to turn everything off in the uh, house and just, you know, lay in the quiet, that's what I do. Sometimes yeah. if I go down at the lake before my wife, if she comes down later, I'll drive that two and a half hours with no nothing on, no radio, no nothing. Just and but that's what I've just learned to do. I've learned how to modify those behaviors and, uh, and, and, and deal with it like that. And just yeah. accept that there's going to be bad days for everybody. Yeah. So that's great. I, I'm taking it all in and there's a few points, especially one when you're talking about where you're driving for two hours, there's nothing on. It's just you, the road, the steering wheel, just quiet. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I, I feel like that when I'm driving the Jeep. Mm-hmm. No music, doors are off. It's just you in the road and the air. Mm-hmm. And maybe the world does need to slow down. We can make the world slow down yeah. a little bit. If we we can. And, and it's, you know, we, we uh, social media, golly, I mean, you always <laughs> want to know what's going on on social media, you know, you can't yeah. turn the radio on without. Uh, if if I don't if I'm not driving in silence, I have my own little playlist I like to listen sure. to. Sure. I don't listen to, you know, just random radio very seldom. Right. Uh, but, you know, and I, I have a lot of people say, well, if it's just, what do you think about? Because my wife will say, how do you do that? What do you think about? And I said, that's the thing. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not thinking. And I'm just, I mean, every now and then a random thought might run through my head. By that, I'm just looking at the road in front of me and just just driving. There's yeah. really not any kind of thoughts. And it is, uh, I can get down there after a two-hour drive and just like, whew, like, you know, just like that, that felt good. Yeah. And so, it's, it's it's therapeutic for me and 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 doing stuff like this telling my story and going to speak that's very you know it's very cathartic and and therapeutic for me yeah yeah you're talking about warning signs what are maybe some warning signs that you um, could explain to our listeners about well, what I tell first responders and I tell anybody you, you know yourself you know and so it's really not warning signs it's just you know like I'm always the like say the you know, ask my wife, she just tell me to shut up. I'm usually the, you know, the outgoing and one line, you know, crack guy and all that. And uh, I noticed the change in me. I noticed that that personality was not prevalent all the time. And I noticed that uh, I was sad. I'll say depressed, sad more often than than I should have, you know, for no reason or or just the opposite. I'd be real anxious for no reason. I mean, just little things that, you know, you know, aren't you. And, uh, and it's important for people that are close to you. If they notice that to say something, uh, we, everybody's always worried about stepping on, you know, somebody's toes, you know, well, I don't yeah. want to bug them. I don't want to, 
well, it's better to bug them than tell you I'm good than, you know, you find out days later that they needed you. Yeah. So I say it's just, um, for me, it was those warning signs that I knew, but I just I just chose to ignore them because I'm bigger and tougher and better than that, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. and that, that's just the mentality that, that, that we have. And um, so that's, that's what it was for me, just noticing anything that's just not normal for you, mm-hmm. you know, something you used to love to enjoy. Now you don't enjoy doing it yeah. or you don't do it as often because it seems like it's more of a inconvenience to do it. Sure. Well, that right there is a pretty good, you know, sign. So just little things like that. And I always tell the first responders, especially, you know, we've got to take care of each other. We've got to look out for each other. Um, when, you know, you got your fire chiefs and they're great and your cities you work for, they love you when you're on camera and when you're doing positive things. And it's no fault of theirs. But, you know, like I tell people, you know, Chris Fields did 31 years, seven months and 16 days, retired on March 1st, 2017. On March 2nd of 2017, they promoted, they promoted somebody, put them in my seat and the fire department never missed a beat. Mm. So that's what I'm saying. We've got to look out for each other. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when I came back from uh, uh, during all that in the span, I didn't talk about, you know, I went away for treatment to a place in California for PTSD and anxiety and depression. That's where I diagnosed and went through some different types of therapy <clears throat> to help cope with it. And um, so when I got back and went to the fire station, I, I was very open about where I'd been, why I was there, the things I'd done. And it seemed like that help uh, let the guys and girls at the station know, hey, it's okay to talk about it. Sure. And uh, and I wasn't shy about asking people anymore if they were okay. If I noticed something different in them, you know, had a young firefighter who used to get there every morning at 530. Shift changed at 7. I was, if I was later than 6, I was late. I mean, that's just how I did my career. Mm-hmm. So, But when I'd get there, he was already there. You know, he'd been there since 530. All of a sudden, I got to notice and he wasn't getting there until 615, 630. Then he wasn't sitting around after dinner and smoking and joking, and he was more off to himself. So I just asked him one day, you know, if he was okay. And, uh, man, we ended up talking for like an hour and a half, two hours. Wow. And, and a lot of it wasn't fire department related. He was just having some problems at home, some financial issues and stuff like that. But uh, I told him, I said, well, I told you when you, you know, when you get a new firefighter station, you bring him in and you give him your little what's expected, you know, your little spiel and and I said, I told you, you know, this is this is your family. So mm-hmm. if you got, you know, and uh, he said, well, yeah, but that's kind of like coach speak or station officer speak. It's like stuff you have to say. But when you ask me, he goes, I felt like that was my opportunity mm-hmm. to tell you since you asked. So that's kind of from then on. I was like, I was probably wearing people out. You OK? You OK? <laughs> you know, but uh, but so that's, that's what I say. We just have to take care of each other. And and it's it's just it's just those little warning signs that, you know, and it's everybody. It's not, and everybody thinks trauma is just for people that, you know, and our trauma is in everyday life. Man, yeah. you, lose a lo- you lose a loved one that's traumatic. Uh, you know, people that are in car wrecks and live to tell it's they're that's traumatic, you mm-hmm. know. Um, they're usually not, they're fine during the car wreck because yeah. they're all, you know, but then after it's, it's so it's, everything's just, and we have to learn to appreciate everybody's feelings and what's like say what's traumatic to me may not be traumatic to you and vice versa and so it's just uh i know it's a reach but it's just what we got to get to in that world we can just uh, get back to you know kind of respecting everybody's the way they feel and you know yeah no i I think that's great speaking of asking questions as how are you doing 
What are maybe two or three questions you wish people would ask you, but no one ever asked? Uh, probably that. How you doing? Yeah. <laughs> or, or uh, I, I, I can look back and say that, but I think any, I was in such a state of mind back then. Yeah. I don't think there's anything they would have asked me. Seriously. Yeah. To, because it was such a stigma back then to reach mm-hmm. out for any help. So I really, I, if I look back to 1995 or 96, 97, a few years after, and said, if there's something somebody could have said or done, I, I really don't know if there is or there was because mm-hmm. I was in that state of mind. It was still such a such a stigma, and, and it still is, but we're, we're making headway on, and a lot of it comes from people telling their stories, you know, and I always tell people things like your podcast and all that. It doesn't have to be a first responder. You know, there's another guy that has a podcast uh, behind the shields named James Gearing. Mm-hmm. It's not just first responders he has on there. He has people from every walk of life because yeah. everybody's got a story. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. And I tell people, you know, there's guys on the peer support team now for Oklahoma City. <clears throat> and I tell them, I said, if you've got a story to tell, tell it mm-hmm. and share it and let everybody know that you've been where they are or you're, you've been where they might end up. Yeah. And because you look at a, somebody on a peer support team or somebody might look at me and go, I don't want to go to him. He's got everything together. You know, I'm going, that's why I tell my story. Everybody know I've been there, done that. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to wait until the wheels fall off like I did. I almost yeah. lost my career and my family yeah. and, and my life. And uh, it doesn't mean you're going to be diagnosed with anything. It doesn't mean that you're going to have to even go see a clinician. Just find somebody to talk to maybe all you need. Yeah. So that's just kind of... Uh, that's where everything's at for me right now. Yeah. So you, you've been with the Oklahoma City Fire Department for quite a while. How do you, in your own thoughts, how do you start a culture? How do you cultivate a culture? You mean as far as like speaking out, reaching yeah. out for help? Well, I'll say this. And, and Oklahoma City has been blessed. The fire department, we've all, we've had, I mean, there's always personality conflicts, you know, sure. between fire chiefs. But in the most part, we've always had fire chiefs that are pretty, pretty sincere about looking out for the well-being of their of their uh, workers. And uh, uh, Chief Kelly now is uh, really involved with the peer support team and giving them whatever he can to help. And I think that's where it has to start is at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the guys I, I travel with, he had a, a guy speak we were speaking at a deal and they were doing question and answers and they asked him basically the same question and he said well it starts at top with administration they have mm-hmm. to be they have to let the employees know it's okay to reach out you're not going to be punished you're not going to be you know uh and the guy out in the crowd said no it starts at the bottom the employees have to and he said no that's a coup you know, if it starts at the bottom, that's a coup. Somebody trying to take over, you know. Yeah. He said, so it doesn't. It has to start at the top. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the, the top has to, you know, start the process. But the top has to let everybody know that it's okay. Mm-hmm. That uh, And 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 as employee, and that's what I try to do. Any, any emotion we have after calls or anybody has, and those are perfectly normal. Mm-hmm. But... You know, we're taught that you got to be this tough and this uh, you got to be there for everybody else. Well, I've certainly learned that, that I can't be there for everybody else. If I'm not taking care of myself. Yeah. And um, so like I can say to me, it just it uh, it starts at the top. Uh, like you say, of cultivating that culture, of letting everybody know that, uh, you know what, if you if you reach out for help, we're going to get you the help you need. Mm-hmm. Um, like I say, what that is, just talking to somebody or maybe going away for treatment. Who knows how severe or. 
but just to uh, just to let them know that you know you're there for them, you support them. Yeah, and there's not any kind of like negative repercussions for it. Right. No, that's great. When when you take the stage to do a public speaking engagement, when you're looking out into the crowd, do you see eyes get bigger, the light bulb, the mind start turning based on what you're talking about? I I do, and and. Me and some of the guys that I travel with, we've talked about that before. We can be speaking. We can look out there and we can see people going. We can see them nodding. Mm-hmm. Or we can see when I start talking about some of the ways I start acting. I've been to some where the like their spouses are with them, and I've seen their spouses even kind of look at them and nod, you know, and all that. Wow. But the amazing thing is, and it, and it's still a stick. They they catch you at the elevator, or they catch you when they by yourself and go, you know, they do this. Hey, I was just gonna let you know that yeah, you know, like they're looking around, you know, like they're making sure, you know, but because it's still that it's still out there that stigma. That stigma so they yeah. catch you when you're alone or something, and they just kind of do that look around. They go, <laughs> "Hey, I just want to let you know, man, you were talking directly to me. Everything you said, I felt done, and uh, you know, so it, it starts a conversation. Sure, and uh, I make I I make a funny about it, but you know, at least they had the courage to even come up and say something. Yeah, you know, and, and reach out. Yeah, and sometimes it turns into we get them. Sent in a direction to go see somebody or some, or it was just that's what they needed, just to let somebody know that you know that's how they're feeling. Yeah, right on. Shifting gears a little bit, what's your favorite sport and whatever sport it might be? What's your favorite team in that sport? Mm. OU <laughs> and anything, <laughs> and uh, um, probably I don't know, man. It's probably between uh, basketball and baseball are my two favorites okay and uh that's because that's just i mean i played football until i was a freshman but basketball and baseball kind of what i stuck with and and uh my boys both played basketball growing up okay and 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 baseball and uh and it would be uh that the thunder i guess have to they weren't (laughs) my favorite team because they weren't a team right so they were seattle they definitely weren't but uh (laughs) celtics have always been my all-time favorite Okay, Boston Celtics. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, a Thunder Celtics finals would be okay with me. Okay. And um, <laughs> and Red Sox and but don't ask me where I get this East Coast stuff. Okay. But uh, and the Red Sox and baseball, and it's an interesting dynamic because I'm Red Sox. My youngest son is Yankees, and my oldest son is Astros. So wow. it makes for a nice little baseball season around the house when playoffs get close. <laughs> Well, at least there's not a Cubs fan because I feel like there's so many <laughs> Cubs fans in Oklahoma. And I don't know, is it because of WGN? Uh, I don't know, you know, and it probably it used to wear, it's all you used to get. People right. It's all they knew. But, and, and in football, I am part of Steeler Nation. And, Are you? Uh, yeah. Okay. You know, I'm a huge Baker fan. And I hate that Cleveland's in the same division. <laughs> and, uh, but man, I, I love my Steelers. And I think that comes from growing up in Oklahoma. Everybody's a Cowboy fan. Yeah, and so I just thought, you know what, I'm not gonna be a Cowboy fan. (laughs) So uh, I just, I was a Steelers fan, and uh, I've been a Steelers fan since elementary school. Yeah, and it's done me well being a Steelers fan instead of a Cowboys fan. Yeah, so (laughs) you like soccer? Uh, You know, I I, I do watch it. (laughs) Do you? But I usually only watch it when it's like the World Cup and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, Now I will say I've I've been flicking over a little more because if people talk about on the radio all the time, Mm -hmm. you know these. I can't. I'm not going to try to say any of the team names because I don't know them. But um, you know, used to I didn't. Yeah. But I think even in soccer, the the competitors are so much more athletic now mm-hmm. that even sometimes a zero zero game has got some pretty intense <laughs> moments. You know, because the 
the guys and girls that are doing it are so freaking athletic anymore. Yeah, true. It's crazy. So, but yeah. if it's on TV and there's any other sport, I'm probably going to go football, basketball, or baseball first before soccer. Fair enough. So, <laughs> you, you can explain this one to me because I would never understood it. In baseball, you the we celebrate pitching a shutout. And in soccer, when it's a zero-zero draw, people uh, are like, dude, this is one of the most ridiculous sports for 90-plus minutes. I walked what? right into that, didn't I? Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I don't – I'm trying to understand. The... <laughs> well, because at least the other team's scoring some runs. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> maybe the other team – the other team's not scoring. But I love a shutout when the Red Sox are pitching it. Of course. Well, the Red Sox are getting a shutout. I can't stand it's the worst game in the world. But uh, that is a good point. Everybody loves a shutout in baseball. Yeah. Or you love – I don't know. I guess it's when both teams aren't scoring. That's, that's okay. the – so just one team not scoring, both teams aren't scoring. Yeah, okay. So there's nothing to celebrate. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. There's no celebration. <laughs> I asked that question to my friend because he's a huge Cubs fan. He's like, man, because it you go, you go nine innings and you're just pitching and pitching all these hundreds of pitches and you – yeah, you know, I was like, yeah, what about soccer? These guys are running around for 90 minutes. He's like, that's it. I mean, you just got – it's the most boring sport, Wong. It's horrible. <laughs> Quit watching it. I was like, okay. <laughs> that's what I'm going to go with because there's no celebration. Yeah. <laughs> now, I am a huge soccer fan on the uh, Ted Lasso show. Right. Yeah, I do watch that. I've heard that. about that show. Oh, it's hilarious. <laughs> From what I understand of it, it does sound like the way English players are. Mm-hmm. Just from understanding, because I played the the game, but okay. watch a lot of English football, if you yeah. will, the real football. Yeah, but American football is good too. I love it, and I'm a big OU fan. That's good. You talk about <laughs> OU basketball and baseball. The bookouts are big names in those oh, yeah. sports. Casey bookout, Kevin bookout. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Does, is it is it Casey the home run king uh, for baseball at OU? Yeah, he he. I don't know if anybody's passed him or not. I know he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe we should reach out to him and we'll find out. There you we'll go. Bring him on the show. Ask there you him. go. You know him? No, I don't know. Oh. <laughs> but his, I guess his sister-in-law works with me or I work with her. Oh, okay. Or I guess, I don't know, politically correct, we are colleagues. Yes, you work together. <laughs> yes, you work together. So. I can't say she works for me because people are like, oh, hey, hold on. What do you mean yeah, she works for you? Chauvinist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it is unfiltered, so whatever, yeah. right? <laughs> So, but what about favorite foods? Um, Mexican, yeah, okay, but probably more. Ta- my wife's Hispanic, okay, and so uh, people and people of travel probably know you know there's a difference in real authentic Mexican sure. food and Tex Mex, yeah, real. Oh, I don't make nobody mad. Real Mexican, <laughs> real Mexican food is pretty bland, okay, it's not so. I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm more of a Tex Mex guy, okay, Tex Mex and 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 barbecue, yeah, probably my two favorites. Barbecue. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Barbecue, any type of meat. Any type of meat, huh? Yeah. Where's a good spot in Oklahoma that or Oklahoma City that you like? Oh, golly. I like uh I don't know, I'll say their name if they'll pay me. Uh Rudy's is good. Uh no, and uh <laughs> now I like Rudy's got good barbecue and then uh there's a place on the south side south Oklahoma City called Dale's Barbecue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's good. Hundred nineteenth and uh, western. Yeah. Uh, it's right around the corner from my house. It's uh friendly people too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the good folks and their barbecue's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and so it's either bar- barbecue or Tex-Mex is what we do pretty much. Okay. So, so before you answer this next question, you look like a kind of a Tom Petty Led Zeppelin. 
Or am I incorrect? Um, not as much Tom. Okay. A lot more lead. Okay. Yeah, I'm a. Yeah, my. I'm, and that's where I am totally. I don't know what the word is because you take one of my favorite playlists yeah. and it may be Led Zeppelin and then it may be uh, uh, Ted Nugent and then it mm-hmm. may be George Strait and then yeah. it may be, you know, it just doesn't Metallica, huge Metallica fan. Yeah. Uh, so ACDC. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, so, but then again, I'm a, I'm a huge, uh, like I say, George Strait, you know, uh, I like Kid Rock. A lot of people don't like Kid yeah, Rock. Yeah. I love Kid Rock. I like Kid Rock. Uh, so, and I'm a, I'm kind of a more of a older country guy. Yeah, I'm not more. Of, I'm not like a. There is some good pop country, but sure. I'm not. I'm not a big pop country guy. I'm a Merle know. Haggard. Oh yeah, Merle Haggard. I got him on my playlist. <laughs> yeah, I, I got too. Waylon and Willie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got all of them on my playlist. Yeah, but like I say, it goes from. It goes like I say from uh, Metallica to. Like I say, all the way down to Merle Haggard. Okay. So fair enough. You should add Hillbilly Vegas to I your. I saw that somewhere on Twitter. Yeah. They just had a. Top I will. 40? I'll check them out. Yeah. They from here? Uh, they. So the bass guitarist mm-hmm. is from Oklahoma. And I think they're from Arkansas. Oh, somewhere okay. around there. But, and I like the local, like Hender. Mm-hmm. I, I love Hender. You know, they're from Oklahoma. Yeah. And uh, who are the other one? Uh, Kings of Leon got mm-hmm. a couple of yeah. Oklahoma. so all that kind of music. I'm good. I don't. I don't do classical. I don't yeah. do. But then I'm kind of a laid back guy. One of my stations. Uh, if I do listen to a station on Sirius XM, uh-huh. I listen to Yacht Rock, which is like 70s and 80s soft rock. Okay, it's a. Uh, <laughs> It's called Yacht Rock. That's my, that's kind of my. That's a station name is Yacht Rock? Yeah. Okay. It's kind of my veg out, to, you know, it's Christopher Cross and that kind of. Okay. That was kind of song. Okay. But, uh, but I'm usually, uh, I'm usually either rocking it pretty hard or got some, like say, Merle Haggard and stuff on. Okay. So. What do you feel like if you don't do the next five years, you're going to regret not doing sounds really simple but uh oh in the next five years mm-hmm. i'd say as long as i don't do it before i as long as i'm breathing i won't regret not doing anything i always have a chance i think mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. uh i want to uh i want to travel just a little more i mean uh i kind of talked my wife into selling the house buying a motorhome and seeing the country she oh, won't God. ever do it but which she may tell me beat it and go to it. Then if that's what you want to do, I don't know. But uh, I would just say just uh, just a few exotic places. I look at like, uh, and I know it's pretty simple to get there, like Turks and Caicos. You look at mm. the pictures from there and I go, I want to go there. Yeah. But then we always end up going to Florida or going to sure. Cancun or going right. to. So I think, you know, I say, okay, I'm going to put it on my radar. Yeah. And I think next year is our 35th wedding anniversary. So I might do Man. Turks and Caicos. That'd be cool. I hope she doesn't hear this. That way, in case I don't do it. <laughs> I'm going to clip this out. Yeah. I'm going to have my wife clip it out, yeah. and we're going to blast on social media so she does hear it. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, and uh, and one of them that I wanted, something I really want to do within the next couple of years, which I have no control over at all, yeah. is be a grandpa. So that's, <laughs> that's, nice. that's, that's, uh, that's, of course, totally out of my <laughs> capabilities. Right, right. But, uh, 
but that would be that would probably be the end all of end all yeah. for me. Okay. Yeah. Are you into cryptocurrency? I try to. I can't understand it. Yeah. Yeah. I know some people that are. Yeah. And I guess it's actually earned a little bit in the last uh, couple of months or month or so, hadn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. 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 So I don't. I don't know enough about it to even. I know some of the names I see when they scroll across TV. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know enough about it. Should I? I, well, I'm not an advisor. I mean, it's always good to get out of the comfort zone and, you know, decentralized currency. and Diversify a little bit. And yeah. Get out there. Yeah. Just see what happens. Well, I might have to, I might have to look into that. Yeah. Well, let us know. <laughs> oh, let us know. Okay. <laughs> we get, we, we, we've been dabbling a lot into the cryptocurrency world. And it's actually quite fascinating. A lot of numbers. And so is that, is that. Is that like where we get to a certain time where there's no more money? It's just all on a, it's all cryptocurrency. Yeah, I don't know if it ever gets to that point because of regulations. Right. However, like if you use Cash Cash App or uh, not PayPal, but Cash App, Venmo, Venmo, you can pay in crypto now. So it's interesting. I do use Cash App and Venmo. Yeah, quite a bit. I and mean, I can't pay you in Bitcoin because that's too much. You probably cost charge me too much, so I don't have enough Bitcoin. Yeah, I would even know. I would know <laughs> what you're talking about. Bitcoin, crypto. I don't. That don't mean nothing to me. Yeah, some of these athletes are now part of the contracts in crypto. I've seen that. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, nah, I think I want to see cash. Think, yeah, <laughs> until until maybe crypto became more of a yeah. mainstream thing. I guess. Yeah. So. Well, I'm with you if. I asked my friend, if I give you $100 now, or if I give it to you in two days, which would you have? Oh, I'll take it in two days. It's like, wow, why wouldn't you take it now? It's worth more now than it's going to be two days if yeah. I'm not around. Yeah. You know? They don't yeah, get the concept. Take the money whenever you get a chance. <laughs> yeah. How does uh, Chris Fields want to, want to be remembered? Hmm. It's just a... Um, it's pretty simple, man. Just a good dude. I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, I'm not, I'm not worried about my uh, fire department legacy. And, and I always say it because I think my boys um, have kind of relayed it best when they say, you know, it's all cool when you're, <clears throat> when you are, when you're a kid and you're growing up and your dad's a fireman or a police, you know, oh, man, it's cool. My dad's a fireman. Oh, your dad's a fireman. That's cool. But I think for as much as my boys were impressed <clears throat> or whatever the word is, for me being a firefighter, yeah. I think they appreciated more the steps I took to get better and mm. to keep our family together. Yeah. So, I mean, and it wasn't just me. It was my wife. It was sure. all of us. But so I, I think that's how I like to be remembered, you know, just yeah. to, I did what I had to do, you know, to to uh, to save myself and save my family. Yeah. That's awesome. How do our listeners get in touch with you? Twitter handle, uh, Instagram handle? Uh, yep. Twitter, uh, which is FF4OU, which is Fields Family, 4OU, because yep. we're all OU fans. Uh, <laughs> they wouldn't be in my family if they weren't, no. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Instagram, same thing, Chris Fields or FF4OU. Mm-hmm. And then um, I've got to update it, but I got, a, I got actually two websites that I can be contacted on. Uh, one is... Uh, www.chrisfields.org which like I said it's, I got to update it and then the other one is www.traumabehindthebadge.com awesome. and that is the that's the one where I work with three other guys yep. ex-first responders uh, one of them was the sniper or SWAT sniper guy that actually took down the Pulse nightclub shooter 
in Orlando. Wow. Yeah. And and then two other ones are actually pulled the trigger uh, suicide survivors. So wow. cops, all of them ex-cops. I'm the only firefighter in the group. So man. But uh that's the group that I travel around with and yeah. and we speak when we can and uh but yeah, on any of those websites is all my contact stuff. Okay. And so that's that, awesome. That's it. And you're on LinkedIn, Chris Fields. Oh yeah, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yeah, I forgot about LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah, that was that's crazy. There's a lot of people on there. LinkedIn. Yeah. And yeah. uh I see some pretty good job offers on there. I'm not looking for a job, <laughs> but I see some some good job offers on there. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For yeah. sure. I don't need one. Yeah. <laughs> Man, we number one, for you to come on our show and and tell your story, I it's so powerful and, and it's such an honor for us to that you gave us a time of day to share it with us. Well, we appreciate you. I, for I that. appreciate you reach. Appreciate you reaching out. I, like I say, I always <clears throat> like these opportunities. I do. Yeah. People said, "You ever get tired?" I said, "Sometimes I get tired of hearing my help myself talk." Yeah. But uh, but I love telling my story and, and letting everybody know that you know tough times are coming and they'll yeah. go away and and you can get through it and and you know and, and kudos to you for your your podcast, man, <laughs> and all your undefeated and defining moment stuff that you do and yes. i think what's the other one you got seen a shirt no no one left behind no yeah we we just made sure it says um no one left behind okay yeah i just yeah. saw that and uh yeah you know and uh you know and what an important time especially with what's going on today i think we had 10 service members killed today that's what we are in afghanistan so hearts and prayers out to all the military yeah military people sure. doing it doing it like it needs to be done yeah, for sure. And that's why my wife, she took off, she took, took some PTO yesterday to come home and design that shirt especially oh, yeah. for, to raise money to yeah. donate. So. Yeah, it's important. And, and that's what we do. Uh, matter of fact, those three guys, the three guys that I travel with, they're all law enforcement, but they're all ex-military too. Wow. So we reach out to veterans yeah. and anybody active military and all that too. So that's powerful. A, like I say, with what's going on, you know, right now over there, yeah. it's just a, uh, it's just important to remember Absolutely. what they're doing. They don't. They definitely don't do it for the money. No, that's right. Yeah, they that's do. True. They that's, do it for a cause. So. Yeah, yeah. And thank you for all your services you've done for your community and worldwide. Actually, <laughs> because your message gets out there, so we well, appreciate that. Thank y'all. I appreciate it. Yeah, and we'll see you at Dell's Barbecue sometime. How about hey, that? Come on, let me know when you're gonna be there. <laughs> all right, we well, appreciate you, man. All right, buddy. thank you. That appreciate you, man. That's man. great. I truly hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have a defining moment or moments you would like to share, please reach out to me. I would love to visit with you about it and share it with the world on a podcast. Here's how to find me. Visit my website, www.definingmomentspod.com. Subscribe to Defining Moments Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoyed listening to this show, I would be extremely honored if you gave us a review. This helps boost this podcast so more people can find it. Go out and be a positive influence today, every day. Make someone smile. My name is Wong Lam, and I approve this podcast.